Rusty Quill presents. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay, this is entry 3124, titled Psychic Psycho. Written and submitted to the exchange from a member going by the name Christian Wallace. Recorded by Jess Seagard.
parents have it the hardest. First, they have to figure it out. The powers, the visions, whatever it might be. If they're lucky, they're put in contact with us before it gets serious. If they're unlucky, they can lose everything. One girl, a real nasty job, I didn't even get to meet. We think she was a pyro, but who knows. By the time I turned up, the whole family had been crammed into the oven and the house had burned down. We had to peel them out of it one by one like giant fruit roll-ups. We try to do some outreach, but it's hard with a government mandate stopping us from going public. Although it's not always how you might think. We're not like the men in black or anything. The truth is that when the supernatural turns up on your doorstep, you'll likely choose not to believe it. And if you do, then no one else will believe you. That's what I mean about the parents. They're isolated from friends, family, even each other. These kids aren't X-Men levitating remotes or mowing the lawn with their minds. It's stressful, and sometimes even terrifying, to live with. It's not easy when your six-year-old tells you the date and time of your death, or you give them a bad row and the following morning you wake up with an abscess the size of a tennis ball filling your mouth like a ball gag. And that stuff can happen even when the kid doesn't mean it to. Their thoughts and emotions just leak out. And kids, they can have some pretty messed up thoughts. We have a pamphlet, more of a book, really, where we run through some of the common mistakes that parents make. Introducing your gifted child to the concept of death as early as possible is essential to long-term safety. Examples of traditional folklore you should avoid discussing with your child include that their deceased goldfish has gone to live in the sea, that dogs, cats, rabbits, etc. are now living happily on a farm, that their deceased grandparents have gone to a better place. It goes on, but you get the gist. No two kids are alike, but they ruminate on the little things. Phrases like a better place can become real to them in a way they'll never be for an adult. They start to picture things, start to think of what it might be like, what it should be like. But a brain isn't just a long line of thoughts. It's like an ocean and there are depths filled with things out of sight, even a kid's mind. Add in the fact that most kids are a lot smarter and knowledgeable than their parents think and, well... What do you think a better place should be? Have you ever been to a funeral? Seen a corpse? Kids know more than you think. They visit grandma in a parlor somewhere. Everyone's crying, everyone's sad. And their mother won't let them open the box to see the old woman who gave them candy every week. Does that seem like a better place to you? All the black, all the tears, being lowered into a hole in the ground and covered with dirt. One of my early cases was a young girl, sweet as can be. She could, occasionally, tell the future in very specific terms. Her parents, bless them, hoped it would lead to a better life, but they made the mistake of asking when they'd die, and the answer wasn't what they wanted. It broke my heart to have to visit that little 
It broke my heart to visit that little girl, to sit and play the Wii with her, laugh with her, and then look back in the kitchen and see her mother standing there with a distant look in her eyes. The little girl couldn't understand why her parents jumped when she looked at them, or shivered when she hugged them. They still loved her, but you could see they'd spend every second of every day counting down the moments. It was up to me to make sure the little girl understood the reality of death. I remember her little frown as she did the math. She'd been confused for a few weeks by that point, but her parents refused to answer her questions. I answered them all, and honestly, at that. It's not really a better place, then, is it? She asked. I don't know. I'm not even sure it is a place. I answered. I shouldn't have told Mummy about the yellow car, she whispered, her eyes tearing up as her little mind grasped such a big idea. Mummy shouldn't have asked, I replied a little too quickly, letting my emotions rise to the surface. I hoped that'd be the end of it. I figured with any luck the mother and father would learn to live with what they knew and not drive themselves mad thinking about how to avoid it. Most people, though, they get so blinded by the specifics they don't even see the big picture. That woman could have locked herself up in a bank vault to avoid being run over by the taxi her daughter described, only to drop dead from a heart attack a day later. I tried explaining that to them. I tried explaining worrying won't change a thing. At least it's not supposed to. A few weeks later, I returned for another welfare check, and guess who answered the door? The little girl, looking hungry and ragged. In the kitchen, all the cupboard doors had been thrown open, and she'd clearly started hacking away at old tins of food with a knife. There were even empty packets of pasta where she'd been eating the stuff dry and uncooked. At first, I thought her parents had killed themselves, and she'd been forced to survive on her own for a short while. But when I asked her... I got an answer that made my blood run cold. I sent them to a better place, she said. You killed them? I asked, wondering exactly what these parents had asked of their own child. No, silly, she answered. An actual better place. I pictured the bestest place in the whole world and I made them go there. What's the bestest place in the whole world? A beach, she cried. A beach that goes on forever and ever in all directions, and you can eat as much as you want to because the grass grows fruit and candy, and there's no one to tell you what to do, so daddy never has to go to work again, and mommy never has to worry about being fat because no one will ever see her get bigger, and daddy will love her no matter what because he said so, and how did you send them there? I asked. She held up a piece of paper with blue crayon and beige lines scribbled all over the place. It was a kid's interpretation of the beach. An explosion of colors and poorly drawn shapes that composed the background. The foreground, however, was something completely different. There were two black and white photorealistic figures, frozen in time, hands held to the side of their head as a silent scream escaped from their lips. 
And the best thing about the better place? The little girl beamed with pride. You can never, ever, ever, ever die. No matter how far you fall or how long you hold your breath or even if you eat loads and loads of poison. Bless her. She looked so proud of what she'd done. Every now and again, I pull that picture out and look at the girl's parents. They move so long as you're not looking directly at them. They push at the boundaries of the page. Sometimes even go around the other side. At first they screamed and screamed and that was all I ever saw. But for the last few years they started just lying there next to each other, staring at what I guess might be the sky. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure time moves normally for them. There's something that looks like a tally in the sand. If it is, the count is bigger than anything possible, whether it's days or years. I'll burn it one day. I just need to feel confident it's the right thing to do. I still hold out hope the girl will come back and pull them out, worse for wear, but ultimately alive. I lost contact with her when she turned 13, though. Most of these kids don't stick around into adolescence because they don't have to, and the system is rough at the best of times. I wish I knew where they went. I'd like to think the government rounds them up and finds them a place where they can help the world with their powers. But most of these kids aren't cut out to be fry cooks, let alone super soldiers. Whatever purpose they find in life, I'm not so sure it's for anyone else's benefit. Part of my job is minimizing the threat these kids pose to relatives and society at large. Easier said than done, of course. It's not that there's just all this power condensed into a half-formed brain. It's what they represent to the average person. In the movies, if some gravedigger spots the undead grandma hauling her ass out of the ground and shuffling towards the horizon, all you have to do is spray him with whiskey and hope no one believes him. That last part holds out, but not the first. Do you know what the average person does when faced with proof of the afterlife? What do you think happens when the average person happens to catch a glimpse of what's in Grandma's eyes, or, God forbid, they get the chance to exchange a few words with the formerly deceased? Kids who speak to the dead can be the worst, because it turns out, whatever is on the other side, it drives the average person fucking insane. And I don't just mean talking to yourself insane. It's more like slit the throats of your family and castrate yourself with a razor blade insane. You might think you've accepted the idea of nothingness or the idea of heaven or hell. But the truth is I'm not so sure it can even fit inside one person's head. The glimpse I had was bad enough to net me six months in a mental health facility. It started when some poor boy had brought his grandfather back without even realizing. He just thought about it long enough, hard enough, and it happened. Next thing was, I got a phone call from the parents who'd locked themselves in the bathroom. They needed help. And even though I was on probationary training, I didn't call up my supervisor. I just rushed out. Truth is, I didn't want to call my boss. I didn't want to be supervised. I'd been waiting for this opportunity ever since I read about it in the training. 
I wanted to see someone who'd come back to life. I wanted to know what was on the other side. All the guys talked about it, about people coming back. But I hadn't really thought they were being serious. It certainly seemed like they weren't being honest with me. I made the mistake of treating it as a problem that could be solved for X. I thought having an answer would do something, help me in some way. I managed to find Grandpa staring at the bathroom door, formaldehyde leaking out his asshole and dripping onto the floor. Those eyes looked at me with an unspeakable hatred, a venomous glare bad enough to make me stumble back, keeping far out of his reach. But it wasn't enough to stop me asking questions. They burst out of my mouth, and I asked so many, so quickly, I don't even remember what they were. I figure most of them boiled down to something like, What's on the other side? When the old man spoke, it was like his voice carried an epoch of suffering and weariness. I was looking at a soul that had been put through the ringer, twisted, washed, cleansed, battered, and abused. It wasn't the same soul that had left, that was for sure. But one look in those eyes told you it wasn't lying, either. Servitude, he answered and it was like the ringing of a gong. I almost asked a follow-up question, but good God, something inside me choked and stopped the words. A part of my soul died hearing that word. I still lay awake at night thinking about it. Servitude. I don't even know what it means, but it has haunted me ever since. Now it's just like that picture, something I bury and try to forget. I don't want to think about it, and nor does your average Joe. If I let myself start asking questions like, who's doing the serving, my mind just doesn't stop. I spent six months going in circles, reading old case files, hoping to learn more. That word still calls out to me a few times a day, scattering my thoughts like rats before a torchlight. Minimizing the harm done by these kids can be hard when it's at risk of putting you in a rubber room. Like I said, the only thing on our side is that 99% of people just don't want to face the truth of what's underneath all the mundane, boring shit we call daily life. That's why so many of these parents are so deeply unprepared. It takes a kind of twisted mind to imagine the world the way a kid does, and more importantly, to think of all the ways it can go wrong. Your goldfish has gone to live in the sea. The tooth fairy will take your old teeth. Santa punishes the naughty. Parents have been indoctrinated since childhood to think these white lies are a fundamental building block of parenting. It's impossible to break as a habit. Even parents who know better, reasonably intelligent people who are doing the best they can, will still make a few mistakes here and there. The best they can hope for is that it doesn't backfire and wipe out half the town. That's when the other half of my job comes in. I have to direct the parents to the right kind of cleanup. Most of the time it's the guys with mops, buckets, and a very strong stomach. Other times it's a nasty man in a suit who knows how to stop the neighbor from posting photos to the internet. Once it was a bunch of guys in lead-lined hazmat suits... That was a tough one to figure out. We still don't really know what happened. But the Geiger counters they left behind still haven't stopped clicking.
Talking about tooth fairies in some parts of the world, they're very real. They weren't always real, you understand, until some of these kids came along. Do you know how fucking scary the idea of a tooth fairy is to the average child? Let's just say what some kid dreamed up in the 80s is exactly what you'd expect from a being who steals teeth for a living. Its face is nothing but a palette with teeth growing all over the damn thing, so there's barely a sliver of gum wider than a finger. And the teeth stink. They're all rotting and yellow like a meth addict's. And this thing goes around taking teeth, and whenever an old one falls out of its... Well, I'll call it a head, but I'm not exactly an anatomist. But anyway, when one falls out, it takes one of the teeth that's collected from kids' mouths and finds a new home for it. Muscular arms shake as it forces the root through flesh and cartilage, and I swear the sounds it makes are cries, but who knows. I always hoped the damn thing would disappear when the kid grew up, but no. Apparently it's still out there, climbing gutters and drainage pipes using its arms because the kid who dreamed it, dreamed it with no legs. And that's just one of them. There are lots of tooth fairies. Like I said, the world is terrifying to kids. And they think things in a way we can't easily predict. But the consequences are all too real, often for the parents, sometimes passers-by. The only saving grace is that most of these kids are well-intentioned. Even the difficult ones, the ones with learning difficulties or emotional problems... They'll show regret when they realize that their actions have hurt people. That's the most important ingredient in a person. Remorse. People hurt each other all the time, but the vast majority of us don't do it knowingly. And even if we do, it's something we figure we have to do. But of course there are others. Kids and people who know damn well what they're doing. I don't know a whole load about them, just enough to help me identify them in my work but they're the kids who are ambivalent to the pain they cause because they just don't care. Most of them are narcissists, content to chase dreams of money and sex because it gives them a thrill. You read about how psychopaths do well in certain jobs, like investment banker or whatever. Great. Good for them. The gifted ones I work with are actually quite similar. They're not necessarily any worse than the other kids, They just tend to not be bothered when I explain to them that, after what they did to their little brother, he won't be able to play any more Xbox with them. There's no guilt. No remorse. The really bad ones, though, they're not just indifferent. They get a kick out of it. It takes a lot of moving parts to come together so that you make a person who enjoys hurting others. I read once that most serial killers have lower IQs because... The average psychopath knows damn well that the cost-benefit analysis of murder isn't in their favor. Murder is hard, and the payoff is usually quite small, and a smart psychopath knows that. Society imposes enough consequences to keep most people in line. But when they're gifted, well, those consequences just go right out the window, don't they? If I can demonstrate the presence of sadism and a total absence of remorse and empathy... In a child, I can request permission to euthanize. Some of the first tests we do when finding one, brain scans, questionnaires, EEG, so on, 
are all about identifying psychopathy. The kids would ask what we were looking for or sometimes start bawling their eyes out during the hammer test, my least favorite test of them all, and it always broke my heart to imagine what was waiting for them if I made the wrong decision. I understood, logically, why we did it. I just hated knowing that I had that kind of power. Those kids didn't know what waited at the end of the road if they failed the tests. Not even their parents knew. I would have given anything to get the agency to drop those tests. And then I met Bradley. We had 16 teachers suffer kidney failure in a single year, and that's what flagged his hometown for further investigation. Looking at the injuries some of these teachers had suffered, I was convinced we were dealing with a teenager who had latent abilities. That kind of cruel spite is usually reserved to teenagers. But actually, Bradley was just seven. I first saw him lying on his living room floor, reading a university-level textbook on anatomy. He was something of a prodigy, although he himself admitted he wasn't that smart until he started taking bits of other people's minds. The funny thing was, his father was the spitting image of Bradley. His mother, too, but you expect that kind of thing, don't you? What you don't expect to see is that the other kids in Bradley's class look a little like him. That parents all over the place have been crying havoc to local scientists who simply don't have any answers. They got these photos of their kids just a few years before Bradley moved in, and they look different. They have different facial structures, different hair color, different eye color. It's subtle at first, but as time goes on, you see these kids change more and more, and it's undeniable who they're changing into. And then the complaints stop, because, of course, the parents start to look a little more and more like Bradley, too. I'm just borrowing bits of them, he told me. Most people don't think enough. There's all this spare room in their head, so I just help them find a good use for it. He infected their minds, and without really knowing why, he made them a little bit more like him. It was a side effect, of course, but a shocking one. We had to call a lot of people to bring things back to normal, and even then, Bradley wouldn't just let us kill his main source of computing power. We had to negotiate, and what he wanted was... Well... He liked vivisection, and he really liked live subjects. He also liked our tools, he said. Some things he just couldn't learn from pilfering the average person's brain, but in our labs he was like a kid in a candy store. We didn't really think that part through, if I'm being honest. Putting him in a room with our scientists was guaranteed to end badly, but Bradley was so powerful. Without ever really noticing, we pivoted from trying to contain him and started trying to just appease him. He was unlike any kid we'd come across. There was nothing stopping him from tying your colon into a knot just to see what would happen. He got a kick out of it, out of seeing people suffer because of his own actions. We don't let scientists out in the field now just in case another telepath picks up some useful tips. A burst pancreas here, a brain bleed there, turning your blood to something the consistency of pudding. 
We still hold annual conferences trying to figure out what Bradley was, what his endgame was. He certainly wasn't interested in any kind of new race or evolution. If we ever implied that he wasn't the only psychic, he'd get very upset. I lost my first supervisor to that. We didn't know what Bradley was at the time. We just found him in his home, sure enough, and he was odd, definitely intelligent beyond all reason, but we didn't know. You may feel alone, Bradley, my boss said, but in fact there are estimated to be nearly a hundred thousand children just like you. There's no one like me, the little boy replied, and his eyes fixed on my boss like daggers. Next thing I know, my boss is shaking, convulsing, blood is foaming out his mouth, his nose, his ears. When they finally got around to doing an autopsy on the old man, they say there was barely anything left inside his skull. It had been ejected with force out of any available orifice from the neck above. What little of his brain remained was pooled at the base of his skull, like the final dregs of a milkshake at the bottom of a cup. In the end, it was Bradley's ego that brought him down. After two years watching him massacre his way through a small town, and then our labs, all while wondering when he'd finally set his sights on some bigger prey, I decided I couldn't just let him carry on. The thing about kids is that even ones like Bradley, even the smartest, cleverest, and most knowledgeable ones, don't really have any experience. Throw in an ego the size of a planet, and... They often lack that essential humility beaten into most of us by adulthood. In the end, it was a little white lie. That's what saved me. Saved us all, really. No one's spoken to what's on the other side, I told him. We have never had any gifted person be able to reach out and see what happens after death. He came out of his room the next day and just... I don't know. I didn't feel sorry for him, but damn, I came close. He had a little desk in the middle of our lab's main floor, where he'd watch the scientists and read their minds like most kids flip through TV channels, and he walked right up to it and sat. He looked so beaten, so utterly wiped out. He asked me for crayons, so I gave them to him and he spent a few minutes scribbling something. A little house with some trees. And next thing I know, he's gone. He just popped out of thin air like he was deleted from one of life's animation frames. He wasn't dead. He just put himself in the drawing. They talk about him like I trapped him. Like I beat him. But truth is, I think Bradley could leave the drawing whenever he wants to. You can see him in that house. He's painting in there, I think. It's all he ever does. Sooner or later, the page will be lost, destroyed, maybe even intentionally. There's no such thing as infinity when it comes to human life. But I remember the look in that dead old man's eyes, and I remember how it made me feel servitude. Bradley must have seen right through whatever afterlife there is, and he did it with such clarity it put all the other kids to shame. 
Now I think he's hiding. I think he knows sooner or later he's going to end up on the other side and there's nothing he can do to stop it. All that's left to him is to put as much distance between the beginning of his life and its end, and he knew from experience he could make all kinds of special places where time runs slower than the norm. Don't forget, he had all my memories to go through as well. I have no doubt he knew about that little girl and what she did to her parents. The Infinite Beach. Thankfully, we think Bradley was a blip. A cloud-computing telepath who borrowed other people's minds to strengthen his own powers. That's the kind of feedback loop that could end the world, maybe even the universe. We're glad he called it quits, although it unsettles me to think of the reason. Someone asked me once what I think these kids are. I'm not sure, but I'm tempted to call them a bug. An error. Whatever they are, they've tapped into something underneath the banal reality most of us fixate on. The one filled with recyclable cups and microwave TV dinners. You hear that and you think it must be a thing of wonder to have that kind of knowledge. I just think of Bradley. Tiny Terrors is an anthology horror podcast produced by Pulp Audio and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. This episode was directed by Cole Weavers with sound production and editing by Mike Lebeau. To find additional information or to join our Patreon for additional content and ad-free episodes, visit our website, www.tinyterrorspod.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tiny Terrors Pod. Or join the Pulp Audio Discord by clicking the link in the description below. Rate and review us on Spotify and Apple. And finally, thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.